All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of Talk About It Outdoors, episode 10. We're excited. It's already been a great night as we go. We did our basket giveaway a little bit ago. We'll get into that shortly. Special guest coming on live with us tonight, Jason Lewis. He's with Lone Wolf Custom Gear and Whitetail Addiction and a friend of ours locally from here in Canton, Georgia. We're excited to talk to him, and it's going to be a great episode. So y'all stay tuned and stay with us because we're going to get with it here shortly. Thanks, everybody, for coming back episode 10 and i didn't think we'd make it to this this quick in the year i wanted to but i didn't expect us to i told nick early on i wanted to get 10 episodes in on the year and i cannot wait for this one to kick off it's going to be a special night for us and we're real excited cody good to see you i know you're excited to be here you don't even have to say it excited to be here as always always, he's excited to be here nick how are you, buddy? I'm good, man. How about you? I am pumped up. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> I am, I am as sure. excited as I've been for any episode. Jason's actually the first in-house, in-person interview we get to do, and it's going to be a great night. Yay! Everybody <laughs> shout it out, because I cannot wait. It's been fun so far. We've had a lot of a lot of buzz spinning around with this one. Jason brings to the table somebody from outside of uh, what we would expect our hunting culture to be jason's hunted all over the midwest he's probably the only person i know to kill deer in the 200 class range he's got two of them and he brought them with us here tonight and uh they're a spectacle to see they're they're amazing after looking at those deer have you uh have you ever seen a 200 inch walking around in the woods i might have seen no absolutely i might have seen a 150 one time (laughs) Well, it's uh, it's definitely good to be here tonight, and we're going to get Jason uh, Jason on the mic shortly. But uh, we wanted to go through uh, how the night transpired. The basket giveaway went great. We went live on that segment. Mackenzie Reed, she's actually a top fan of the page. She was the forty sixth. Yeah, it was forty forty sixth commenter or sharer of the basket post so that's how we went with it we randomized it we're going to have different contests as we go tony wilkie cody met up with him earlier and he was the winner of the knife of the knife he was super excited and he i made a post about it he had had a knife like that when he was a kid and being a kid he was throwing it at a tree broke one of the blades so he was super excited um and he was you know Glad to get it. He was glad to get it. Yeah, you could tell from his picture he looked very happy to get it. And Tony seems to be a good guy. I don't know him, but everyone that I do know that Mm -hmm. speaks highly of him, you know, they they talk very well of him. Yeah, he's super nice and very genuine. So our basket giveaway's over with, and that's going to be all the giveaways we do this year. We know Owen won the, the, the kid's bag. I actually sent Zachary a message earlier. I apologize. I haven't got with him yet to give that, that bag to him, but I'm going to get it to him tomorrow. I'm going to give him a shout on my way in from work, and I'll get that basket awesome. over to him. So. Um, as we said earlier in the show, it's been a great, great transcript that we've put together thus far. We've been able to talk to some people on the phone. We got Brandon on, we've got some people that have been able to send in questions. And as always, we're going to kick off this segment with our very own edition of shooting you straight with Cody Watson. (laughs) Cody, go ahead and propose that question if you would. And, uh, I'll tell you what, since Jason's our guest on tonight, why don't we, why don't we let him answer that one first? Sounds good to me. This is actually from your buddy, I believe, in Louisiana, Scoop. Scoop, yep, Scoop. I can't say your last name. You got a coon-ass last name, and I can't say it, so I ain't even going to try. <laughs> he was curious about which moon phase have you had the most success in while hunting, and was it during the morning or afternoon? So you're probably more versed in this. So. That's a <clears throat> that's an excellent question. Um, I follow the Red Moon Guide. Uh, I think Joe Miles and Adam Hayes put that out. It's actually an app you guys can get on your phone. That's just what I use. Anytime I see a red moon coming up, 
um, months in advance, I plan my vacation around that. That's how much I look forward to hunting that red moon. And to be honest with you, uh, Cody, it doesn't matter uh, morning or evening. If it's a red moon and you, especially if you get a little trickle of cold weather or a weather change with pressure rising, that's when I've had the most success. It could be mid-morning, it could be midday, it could be the afternoon. But um, to answer his question, the red moon definitely is when I've had the most success. And I've got years of history of when I've taken off on those dates on purpose and deliberately killed deer because I was hunting on those dates, and I truly do believe in that. And that's, I guess the Red Moon app, it kind of goes, I mean, so that's for everywhere, That's right? everywhere. That's, that's everywhere. That's good that's for the, everywhere. That's the first full moon, basically, of early season, correct? That is correct, and then you've okay. got the second. It's usually second, in October, right? You've got Good. the second autumnal equinox moon and 30 days following that, and it, and it all has to do with the amount of light that enters a buck's eye and uh, what gets them on their feet most during daylight. And so there's a whole lot of science that goes into it. These guys make it real easy. Uh, and they give you the whole year when you get the app. So if you're looking at a late season hunt in January or that early muzzleloader September in Kansas, or you fellas heading up to Illinois for that opening or bow, open, you know, October first, you know if it's going to be a decent moon phase. And that is that is that typically within a couple of weeks of um, Halloween? Uh, usually, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, it usually falls within a week or two of Halloween. Let me get that app real quick. <laughs> do you do you find the do you find the moon phase? I know you said red moon. Do you find deer movement is better on a rising moon or um, a moon going to full or coming away from a new moon? Um, I've done better going away from a new moon. Setting. I've seen more deer activity. I was going to say that yeah. too with that question. I've seen more activity with the after the moon's full going back to dark. Absolutely. And, yeah. again, it's, it's, a, it's also a correlation of the weather, you yeah. know. Um, this year, you know, think about that first week in November. We were all in the Midwest about the same time. Uh, I tagged out on November 5th, and it turned out to be 72 degrees that day. But guess what? It was a red moon week. Yeah. You know? Do you um, – I lost my train of thought when he threw <laughs> Sorry, that pin across threw, the basement. I had to get rid of that pin. I can't he threw a basement across the <laughs> yeah, I, had to, I had to get rid of that pin. That's all I do is sit here and click, 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 um, click, 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 click. I've never, I've never personally, like I, – I think it's always been a situation with me where I've just had – like, all right, I've got this time to hunt. I got to hunt, no matter what, what the weather is, what the sure, moon's doing, absolutely. whatever. So, yeah. but when you, you get to a point where you can kind of plan around it, that's good to know. That is um, probably ninety percent of the people. You know, everybody ain't got yeah. time just to no. take off. They can just go when they need to, and, right. and have time. But as Jason said, you can plan time off months in advance due to that red moon calendar because sure. it's right. not a it's not something that's changing. Correct. Correct. That is correct. It's on there. That's what it is for the year. Um, and it's it's really, really interesting how how many deer, especially if you watch social media and you're talking to your buddies and you're part of a couple t- different text groups, you know, it's interesting to watch the activity level change uh, based on when that red moon comes in. I'll be interested. Do you do you look at um do you look at the overhead underfoot? Do you do you watch that when the moon's overhead or under your foot like? Because that kind of correlates with the feed. Explain feeding that. Explain yeah, that. Because I, I, yeah. I heard you mention that yeah. earlier, and I don't know what that means. I don't either. So if you'll, if you'll, it's on hunt stand, but it'll give you the exact time that the moon is directly. Some people, some people use feeding times. Like you can get on hunt stand, it'll give you, a, it'll give you a minor and a major. Correct. And a lot of times, if you'll look during the major, a lot of the times that'll tell you that the moon is straight overhead. And it'll give you that time. It may say ten o two, you know, and then your a.m. If it's depending on what time it is, it'll be under your foot. I mean, it's of course on the other side of the world okay. there. So, um, hmm. 
I hadn't I hadn't seen that, and I don't know exactly what that meant, but I appreciate you explaining that. Yeah. And Jason, thanks for giving us that little bit. See, look here. I just pulled up handstand real quick. So, if it, if it'll give you major, it'll give you like today um, in our area here will be six o'clock to nine o'clock. The over the head is seven twenty nine. Okay, I see. It says yeah. overhead. Yeah, it on says there. overhead underfoot. So some people go off of that. And I've been watching. This is actually the first year that I've actually watched it. So I didn't know how. If you if you guys look into that, I, I look at the red moon days. I try to be there as many of those days as I can. Try to plan around it. Um, can't kill them if you're not in the woods. That's right. We've all that's said right. it a lot of yeah. times. That's so right. you know, if you've only got a weekend to hunt, get in the woods. You know, it it, it uh, that's your best odds. Well, there's a new segment that Nick and I've been talking about coming in. It's called Pump Your Brakes, and I'm telling you, you better pump your brakes right now. Hit the pause button and get your notebook out because Jason Lewis is dropping the info. I'm telling you that pump your brakes right now. Hit the pause button, pull over on the shoulder, get your notebook out because I'm telling you, you want to take down notes on that. So, yep. for, hey, what'd you? Th- was that good? That was pump good. Your bra- pump, pump your brakes. <laughs> so pump your brakes is a new segment we're going to be All doing. All it took was a car on Highway 20 this morning. <laughs> yeah, pump your brakes came about. So that that's good. I like that. And, Jason, I appreciate you explaining that to us. And, you know, as we go along, more and more people are going to propose questions. I sorry, Scoop, we missed that on the first one. I know you hit me up last night giving me a hard time about not getting that in, and I apologize for that. So, as we always, uh, thanks, Cody, for uh, for getting us on, shooting you straight, and we uh, we appreciate that. So, without further ado, I'm going to roll right in to introduce Mr. Lewis and get him, uh, get him started. Jason, 40-year-old. He's been hunting uh, since he was 6-year-old. He actually didn't kill his first deer. He was 14 years old. So, Got a little bit later start than some of us. Um, he was born and raised in Gainesville and moved to Cherokee County when he was 15 years old. So he's 40. He's been here 25 years. He's been uh, there longer than most people that probably listen to this podcast been alive. So definitely uh, definitely a local to us. Um, he's got two children, 10 and 6. Um, he's been married to his wife, Lindsay, for uh, 18. Ashley. Ashley. Yep. Oh, Lindsay's your daughter's name. Yeah. Ashley and I've been she married. Gonna, she gonna be mad at me now. She's gonna be mad at <laughs> me Alex after that. Might get stomped yeah, on. yeah. She's gonna she's gonna be mad at me now. I'm sorry, Ashley. I didn't mean to say nah, that. I'm reading no off my problem. notes here. So yeah. y'all been married for eleven years and together for eighteen. Yes, sir. We had to we had to date seven deer seasons first. So you had to make sure she was the right one, right? <laughs> and she was. Hey, absolutely, absolutely. She's a wonderful lady and I've met her a few times. She's always been pleasant to be around. So Ashley, I'm sorry. I, I apologize if you listen. We'll go ahead. I'm done scalded. I am my face is red. You can't see it, but it's red right now. So Jason, I want you to go into to a little bit. Um first off, you know, you, you said you didn't kill your first deer till you're fourteen. Did you start hunting before that, and who actually got you into it? I did. It's interesting. Um, so one of my best friends in elementary school, he was a big hunter, and we hung out all the time, and we squirrel hunted. And, you know, my family, living on Lake Lanier, they were big fishermen, but none of them were big game hunters. My dad uh, had killed two deer in his whole life, and that was on Lake Russell WMA. And that's where I started hunting when they used to take me. And, you know, I've heard some previous episodes when we're we're sleeping in marine, you know, down sleeping bags in the back of a camper shell truck, you know, with the tailgate down, and I'm getting up in the morning just so I can move around and warm up because my lips are frozen. Oh, yeah, That's the kind of hunting quick. I grew up doing, you know. So um, I missed a deer when I was 11 years old, and it just tore my little heart out. But my papa, um, he retired from the Gainesville Bank and Trust when he was like 56 years old, and he had gone to Gibson's when they went out of sale. I had a sale. They went out of business, and he bought a Model 94 Winchester 3030 with open sights that ejects out the top. Oh, yeah. And nobody had ever shot it. 
So that's what they sent me to the woods with. We never even checked this thing, y'all. I, I shot so far over this doe in Oglethorpe County that was pine bark six feet high flying off this, you know. And, and my dad and my brother are looking at me, and I'm looking at them. And, you know, I've, I've shot BB guns since I was six. I ought to be able to shoulder and shoot this Model 94, but I missed. And um, that's when that's when me and dad decided we would uh, save some of my money and get a bolt action. And I wound up going to Walmart and getting a 270 Savage. And we did cite that in and check it. and uh, Got you a scope on that got one. Got a scope on that one. And when I was 14, we were in a little lease that the uh, power company had in Oglethorpe County. And my dad actually fell asleep um, in the blind on the ground. And I swear his snoring brought these does in that afternoon. And I woke him up, and I was super excited. And um, this, this doe, probably 120 pounds, presented a broadside shot. That's back when we only got five tags in 1994. Y'all remember that? Oh, yeah. Before mm-hmm. all this 12 tag stuff, you know, you yeah. only had five tags. So just one buck and four doe or two bucks I still? think it was two bucks. But was it two? It was I, I can't remember. That's when they, I, was, I was talking about in the, one of the last episodes, yeah. those little orange tags. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yep, that's what we had. So that's when I killed my first deer. Um after that, my dad took me and my brother a couple more times. We hunted with a, um, one of his bosses from the insurance company. He had a place out in Columbia County. Killed my second deer off a fence post at like 200 yards. Wasn't even the deer I was aiming at. <laughs> I mean, y'all, I'm telling you, my, my career getting into hunting was really, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it, and I think I loved it more because uh, I had to learn from anybody else that would take me squirrel hunting or whatever. I'm just clinging on to every word they said. You know? So you're kind of like what we went into on the last episode, a new person trying to get into hunting. Absolutely. And y'all had to find a way to get into it. Yes. And and from that, you were able to get out. And you didn't necessarily start deer hunting. You went out and hunted small game or whatever it may Correct. be to kind of learn more about the woods. Yeah. As it goes, did you learn more about the woods and everything by hunting small game? Absolutely. I mean, if you you got to be quiet to kill a squirrel. I don't care what anybody says, but you also learn uh, the ways of the land. You learn how to walk. You know, you learn how mm-hmm. to how to be quiet when you're slipping around. How to sit down and sit still for a little while. And all the woodsmanship actually was taught through small game hunting that we kind of took into deer hunting. You know, yep. um, when I was 16, I finally my third deer I ever killed was with a bow. I had saved up all year long. I bought a little bear whitetail too. The little pulleys on that bow were no bigger than the top of that beer can. I mean, it was just... Well, that ain't a white tail, too, over there, but it's... That's close. That's That's a close close, model. Yeah, Yeah, both of them come over on the Mayflower with Columbus. (laughs) I I had those 20, 22, 84, whatever those huge Lincoln Log aluminum arrows were. I had saved up all summer and bought this little worn and sweat stand that I couldn't even sit on right now. I mean, it just had a piece of foam, you know, no bigger than four or five inches on it. But I hung that in uh, in the Corps of Engineer property in Deer Run down in Woodstock, if y'all know where that's at, in town lake in yeah. 1996 and got my first deer with a bow and that's really what jump started everything um i came pulling into the neighborhood and we lived across from the sales lodge i mean it's a saturday morning opening day of deer season 1996 they're trying to sell these quarter million dollar homes and here is this redneck kid with a doe on front of an isuzu trooper trying to gut <laughs> it in the driveway <laughs> while they're trying to sell homes i'll never forget yes. my dad scalding me and saying can't you at least do that in the backyard you know i was so proud and happy it didn't matter to me i was close to the water hose i mean it worked out good for me but um that's i remember that's when the bug actually hit me was taking yeah. that third deer with a bow and that's when you got into the bow hunting side Absolutely. of things and, and ever since then and ever since I've known you. So little little tidbit of information on how I met Jason Lewis. He was actually over at a, uh, a friend of mine's house shooting, um, James Turner. He was there shooting bows one day, and James had invited me over to shoot. He actually invited me to your house because that's when you lived in Clayton. He Mm -hmm. said, come over to Jason's house and shoot. I went over, and you had that bear sitting up down there in the woods. I had that – I had – I think that was probably – 
2000, when were you there? 11, 12, 10, 11, we 12? We moved in there 2009 through 2016. So, so it was, so it was in the early, it was right around 2011 because I was shooting that omen. I remember bringing it over there and I'm like, I can shoot that far, I think. And we shot that bear down there yep. in the middle of the woods you had standing. And that's when I met Jason. After which, through the years, we stayed in contact. You bought a piece of property that actually joined up right close to where Absolutely. I was at. Yep. I won't ever forget you calling <laughs> me and getting me to come over there and plow that food plot That's for right. you. And Jason, which you can see on the the little drop that Cody did, he actually killed a great, was it an 8 or it a 10? It was a clean 8, 138-inch 8-pointer, the only deer in my life I've ever shot with a bow and a gun. Yeah, he shot it. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I actually, I saw this deer. I, I could see it from the back porch over into Larry's property. I could see those, and I'm almost positive this is the same deer that I saw that Jason wound up killing. Alex a great had a deer. picture through uh, a spot and scope of a deer, and I said, Alex, I think that's the same deer. And <laughs> so, uh, open the day of bow season 2016, I was fixing to leave for Kansas for this early muzzleloader hunt, and I just knew. Alex had came over, very graciously helped me put this food plot in. He drove his tractor right around the corner. I know didn't have the trailer or anything. So I had this deer coming like clockwork up to this food plot. And I self-filmed myself at 43 yards on a south wind, opening day, taking this, shooting this deer. And I made such a rookie mistake. He lifts his head up. I got the whole thing on video. And he turns his head and his ears are facing right at me, 43 yards, dead calm, no wind. And I let it fly like a moron. I didn't even let him put his head back down. I was so stoked. This was going to be my biggest Cherokee County buck, Pope and Young by far, and I hit him high in no man's land, that awful gut-wrenching backstrap shot that we all hate to see. And um, he took off running. I looked at the video, looked for arrow. We didn't find anything. Literally two weeks later, we timbered that entire property. All of it. Every bit of pulpwood came off that property. Really? Yeah. And so um, I thought it was over. Started getting pictures of him while I was in Kansas. And I said, when I get home, I'm going after this deer. Well, it got to the point. We played cat and mouse all season long. He started showing up regular two days before Thanksgiving. A lot of times that's our rut, you know, in Cherokee County. There's that week of Thanksgiving is one of my favorite weeks to hunt oh, around yeah. here. So I called a buddy of mine. I said, listen, I got to get this deer killed. I feel awful. I said, bring your rifle. Come on, let's go. I said, he was at this stand. You're going to hunt this one down by the power line. I'm going to hunt up there on the hill. And um, he came chasing a doe by me that morning, and I killed him, and that was one of my best Cherokee County deer. And the deer was actually he was he was not doing well. No, he was at, at that point. He no. had got an infection from that. From so, the shot, so, yes, from the bow shot. I remember because you brought him over to the house. We mm-hmm. field dressed him there, and you wound up not being. I don't even think you were able to eat him. I wasn't. You? Yeah, I checked that's everything. A, that's it was a shame, but at least we, you know, we. we I'm glad that you chapter. got him and got that chapter closed Absolutely. on a deer that I had actually saw. And and rewinding back to that food plot. If you've ever tried to plow Stone Mountain, that's what it was like. Because Jason and I toted <laughs> that's rocks. The truth. But what did you plant there? And and that's something that 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 food plot did so well in that spot. And and this is a first plow yep. in a fresh clear cut yep. in a fresh spot that had never been tilled before. Correct. And I know we we ripped it up with a spring tooth. And what did you actually uh, uh, plant there? Because so, it grew well. There's a product um, called Big and Beastie made by Frigid Forge. John's the owner of the company. He's up in uh, up in the north somewhere, I believe Michigan. And he sent me a couple pounds of that Big and Beastie. And it's got radish, dirk radishes and uh, red top turnips and kale. It's got stuff that comes up all throughout the year, but the turnips don't get real good and sweet until we get the first frost. 
But for whatever reason, it does good no matter. This stuff will grow on limestone rocks. I've never seen anything like it. It did. It was, I mean, oh, it it did. It was knee high and I mean, acidity level in that soil had to be so bad from all those pines and never being plowed and limestone. And so I tried to add some, uh, some fertilizer and lime to it just to get it to a point it would grow. And it did. It did pretty good. And actually, even after they timbered it, that stuff came up the next spring. Oh, wow. It started growing up underneath where they mulched all that stuff. So, well, Jason has since, uh, fortunately (laughs) sold that property. So I don't have to worry about him, uh, being the big bad hunter over the hill at least some of those deer can survive a little bit because <laughs> i don't know that the guys that hunt there or live there now are quite the hunter that you are right. so um as it goes you've spent a lot of time out of state hunting Absolutely. and we've talked about you know your kansas deer when we were on the the live episode and we got some pictures of those but after you after you've spent time around the country and it may be kansas but what's your favorite state to go to and hunt and it could be here at home but where and, and why um, that's a great question. I guess I've got a lot of uh, loyalty to Kansas, the old Sunflower State, just because of what it's produced for me. Um, I like the fact that as a uh, as a non-resident, if you own land there, you only have to have 80 acres and you can get tags in Kansas. Unlike okay. Iowa, where if you own a farm, it doesn't matter if you own 8,000 acres in Iowa, you still got to get drawn every couple years for your archery tag. Really? Absolutely. So, I didn't know that. Um, I would say, Alex, to answer your question, Kansas is probably one of my favorite states uh, Illinois is still one of my favorite states um, to hunt. I was right up there when you get drawn. It's just a double-edged sword. They do such a good job, the DNR in Iowa, of protecting their deer herd that, like I said, it's a double-edged sword. You can own 8,000 acres and still not hunt it every year. That, that to me, is almost un-American, but we still all want to go there because it's kind of the mecca. To draw a bow tag. To draw a bow tag. But yeah. if you have the right property in any state and you've got good neighbors and you're able to not be landlocked somewhere – I think you can. I, I think you can grow mature deer and kill mature deer. I really when, do. When was the first time that you were able to go out of state from hunting in Georgia? Two thousand. Two thousand. Twenty years old. 20 years I was old. down at the Buckarama. These guys were selling hunts up in up Coshocton County, Ohio. I'll never forget it. Um, I was like sick to my stomach two weeks before leaving. I was so nervous to go out of state hunting somewhere else, and I was so excited at the same time. And a buddy of mine, we both went up there. We hunted for ten days. We both took. Uh, my first Pope and Young came from there, 142-inch deer. It might as well have been a 240-inch deer, you know, because <laughs> yeah. that first one out of state just means a lot, and that's when it hit. Every year after that, before I had kids, I mean, Ashley would call me and ask, what state are you in again? Because I might be gone for two weeks, you know, working off the road or seeing customers and then going back out. I mean, um, there were there were sabbaticals there for 10 or 15 days. I'd just be on the road absolutely wearing it out in whatever state I had a tag. Now, bef- before you went out of state, you were just in small clubs around yeah, here? Yeah, clubs around here. I was fortunate enough, my dad owned a uh, horse farm over in North Fulton County, so that was really good hunting, pulled some good good bucks out of there. Uh, that that suburban hunting's gotten a lot, has changed a lot. Um, there's a lot more people gunning, running and gunning for that property to get access to. So I was always in high, in high school, I was always in a club down in South Georgia. And so on Friday afternoons, when everybody else went to the football game, we had the four wheelers loaded up and we were headed down to Eatonton and, and Sparta to go down to Hancock. That's the good old days, wasn't it? That was the good old days. <laughs> we didn't realize how good they were, Nick, yeah, you know, yeah. till, till looking back now. But, um, gosh, I mean, I graduated high school in 1999. I can tell you all this, you know, we had uh, Lenny, our, our school cop, he knew that we were going to hunting camp and we could give him our keys to our truck. And we left at work exit my senior year, and my 270 would be under the seat. And Lenny would just hold the keys all day. And then when I got in the parking lot, we'd take the keys and we'd ride south. My, how times That's have changed. That's 1999, y'all. I was yeah. think about that for just a minute. Yeah, that, yeah. that ain't that long That's ago. That's not that long no. ago. That same year Columbine happened, and that's you, when everything changed. You would be in prison. Oh, that's what I'm saying. The parents, I mean. It, yeah, can you if imagine? If you got caught with a knife. 
Oh, it, when we were in school, it was the end of the end of days, yeah. and yeah. and that's a that's a difference in times the way they've changed and everything, and especially yeah. with the hunting down there, it yeah. was it was a it was almost a tradition to go down there. Nick spoke about it. I fortunately had a club here local to Waleska, so I didn't go to South Georgia with Dad and them. I was yeah. by the time I was old enough to go. I couldn't go because they weren't going anymore, yeah. and we had Big Ten and, and Shoal Creek to hunt locally. So, what do you do? You often think about do you often think about those days of going down there, and and I don't know if your dad or anybody checked you out of school when you before you could drive when you could go out there. Do you often think about that with raising young kids? I do. Uh, so I was 16 years old, and my dad trusted me. I worked pretty hard. I always had a job ever since I was 16, whether it be Win Dixie Stock Boy or Publix, and. Um, I drove to that club by myself and stayed all weekend with no cell phone. And I would just check in from a payphone in town when we went to a gas Man. station. That's awesome. That, I mean, and and he trusted me. He knew yeah. I was down there, and I had friends from the neighborhood in there. And sometimes when he was able to go with me, he would. Uh, but um, that was just a whole different time. And you know, it was we'd come home through Atlanta. There might be an accident. You'd be sitting on two eighty five at sixteen or seventeen years old with deer on the back. You know, on the cargo rack, people giving you either a thumbs up or a different finger. You know, <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was talking to. Uh, I think I was talking to Cody Fowler the other day about. Man, you'd load up on Sunday to come home, man. You're so excited to yes. get on 20 or 75 just to Show see what off. someone else killed exactly. or, yeah, yeah. or what yep. you had. But, yep. um, so once you start, once you turn 20 and you started going to the Midwest, does now that you hunt out there in the Midwest a lot, do you hunt around here as much? And do you want to get your kids when they're old enough to hunt? Do you want to get them hunting around here like you did when you growed up? Or do you think you're going to get them straight into the Midwest? No, they, they, I want them to start here. I, yeah. I, first of all, I'm not one of those parents that pushes it on my kids. I want them to genuinely want to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't really cram that down them. And all of a sudden, it's funny. I was I was almost complaining to a good buddy of mine and saying, man, you know, Landon, he just doesn't have the itch yet. I don't know what's going on. And and literally, like a light switch went off, he saw me put the camo on one day. He said, Dad, I want to go sit with you. I want to go hunt. And he might as well have handed me a million-dollar check. <laughs> yeah. Y'all right, know, as, right, as yeah. fathers oh, yeah. of kids, when you hear those words, at six years old, you know, that made my So we have been hunting hard these last couple of weeks. Yeah. It's late season in Cherokee County. You can see a country mile. These deer have been pressured since September. We hadn't seen the first deer on any set <laughs> yeah. we've been on. But that's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's not complained, and we yeah. stay out there as long as he can stay out there. And uh, I've been stealing a little bit of his Halloween candy just to, you know, because that's part of going. You know, Dad always lets you get away with something different than you do oh, at the yeah. house. So. We're we're starting those traditions. Uh, I will if he gets into it. I will absolutely take him with me to the Midwest. I'd like for him to experience that, but I also want him to understand um, it's not easy. You know, I didn't kill a rack buck till I was eighteen years old. I mean, I mean that was a sixteen inch eight pointer. It didn't start with going to the Midwest and passing up 120 inch deer and I, I think a lot of these tv shows i don't want to say they've done more harm than good but you really gotta you gotta manage your you gotta manage your expectations and yeah and i think it does it, it makes you appreciate the midwest a lot more growing up as a georgia hunter we've talked about on the yeah. previous shows where you can you can attest to this going even to south georgia you may hunt for an, an entire weekend and see two deer whereas now we get the opportunity to go to the midwest and hunt ohio illinois iowa kansas whatever it may be and you see 20 30 deer in a set you know it may not always be that way but you have the opportunity to take a buck of a lifetime there yep yeah and and going back to getting your kids you know my son started and luckily for me he is all outdoors i mean he would be sitting right here right now if he could be but he um he killed his first deer when he was six with a rifle doe here in cherokee county and he's been hammering deer with his bow since he was 11 
and he's actually going to get it. He's going to go with us uh, to Illinois next year, and See, it's going to be. That's so I, awesome. I know. I can't I, wait. But but he's earned it. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing. And yep. and, and not to absolutely. not to yeah. tell anyone how to raise their kids. That's I don't right. care how they do it. Yep. But I feel like, and you made a, a key point. Don't force it on them. Get them into it as they want to. If they want to go sit, Sargers went and sat with me, and we've sat for thirty minutes, or that's we've right. sat for two hours. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like you owe it to them to teach them how Absolutely. to, you know, go out and walk in the woods. Don't just take them out, throw them in a blind over a corn pile because that's what's the cool thing to do now exactly. so they can kill a deer. Yep. Make them earn that deer yep. like we all had to. And I think as you go, I remember when I went as a kid, Dad would take me scouting with him on Altoona WMA, and I would walk all over hell and creation trying to find him a tree to get into to hunt. And I'd be like, God, I don't want to walk anymore. Can we just go hunting? And he's like, this is part of it. Absolutely. you got to learn to scout. you yep. got to learn to find that sign. Well, I'll tell you, we was talking about, uh, we, was talk, sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> we, we was talking about, you know, going different places hunting, going South Georgia, where we go out of state. I think you can get more involved into hunting if you go somewhere. A lot of times hunting around the house, you're like, I can just get in my truck and go back home real quick. Or, you know, if you take your kid, I don't have kids, but you can take your kid and they know they know how close home is. And they can just get they hey dad let's go back home you know but if you go off somewhere that's really all you got to do so you're gonna spend the time in the woods and enjoy it and learn more about it as you go absolutely so. absolutely and I learned that going to South Georgia dogging Sawyer never asked once to go back to camp he was in the he was in the truck we was chasing deer you know we we they'd throw the dogs out here they're headed towards this road we'd get out and he'd stand right there beside me and he was into it like you said yeah. there wasn't that distraction and it's such a distractive society that we live I mean, in I mean how many times around here do you guys get go sit in the stand. And you're constantly like, man, I could be at home doing this, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I could just walk man. up the hill and be at home and do this. I could be home taking a nap. Yeah, doing something yeah. else. Man, so, I'm hungry. But, I'm gonna go get a sandwich. <laughs> but when I went to when I went to camp, and I'm sure you guys did too, it was it was more than just deer hunting, it building fires, yeah, yes. camaraderie, yeah. getting back to camp, seeing yes. what everybody's seen, driving the four wheeler. Yeah. Yeah. When somebody shot, you were like, I got to get out and see what they mm-hmm. killed. But no, yeah, that, I, that's, I, and I, I think that's what kids miss. And I think if and I don't have kids, I, I'll keep saying it. But I think if you take kids straight to the Midwest and and you can you can probably I mean, we don't we don't build fires when we go up there. We don't hang around the campfire. We talk at night and then we're bow hunting, so you don't hear someone shoot, so you can't get into it. That's so. exactly and you know what's funny, some of the best memories I have hunting were down at that slave cabin that Sherman left when he marched to the sea in Hancock <laughs> County, listening to the older men tell stories yeah. and talk. And watching them, you know, away from home, off the reservation, so to speak. You know, oh, everybody's yeah. had a good time, and they let us ride foolers. Those are some of my best memories. I yeah, mean, absolutely. you can take the 200 inches wherever you want to. But those my best memories were made at those hunting camps with the people that I love being with. Yeah. Just what you just said. Like we were talking about earlier, Nick, we, we happen to know a common, uh, a common person from back when I was in school. And it's just funny because – both of us remember the same thing about yeah. that person. It's because of hunting camp. Well, yeah. deer yeah. hunting circles they run they run small. Right. I mean, even as big as the community of hunting is, had I not been a bow hunter, I would have never got the opportunity and the pleasure of meeting you. You know, and getting into hunting. Cody and I went to school together, but I don't feel like we would have spent as much time together through the years had right. we not both been into hunting. Nick and I coon hunted for years together, and then, you know, now into this, and we developed a friendship through, I can remember the first deer I ever killed in Iowa, the first person I called was my dad, the next person I called was Nick, and yeah. I was, because Nick had been going to the Midwest before me, and I was so excited, and I was pinging him every day, you know, asking him, hey, you know, what do I need to be prepared for, how's the cold, how's the weather, what do I need to do this, what do I need to do that, and then I killed that first deer up there, and I remember calling him, I was, and it was in the snow, and I mean, I was so excited to call and tell somebody that knew about that opportunity, yeah. so. 
it's just those small circles that hunting cultures run in yep. that we've all been fortunate and blessed enough to, you know, get to know each other. Cody and Nick made a common bond the other day looking at pictures of people he had been in a hunting mm-hmm. camp with that Nick was in years before. Yeah. So Yeah, I, yeah. I, I love it. You made a comment earlier, Alex, your dad took you scouting on Altoona W Maine. You, you're probably thinking, why, when are we going to finally hunt? I've learned to actually transition back to that through my hunting career. I spend probably more time scouting and walking than I do sitting now. And I know that sounds crazy, but <clears throat> you'd be surprised how staying mobile and keeping on top of things when a deer changes behavior or changes a trail or transitions to food or you know leaves corn and goes to Milo. You need to know when that's happening if you want to capitalize on those situations. And scouting is becoming something that people think that their their trail camera is a scouting tool. It doesn't take the place of a boot leather. You got to get down and move and see what those deer do. A camera only tells Amen. so much of the story. Tells a ten foot circle. That's exactly Amen. right. I mean, I love to watch my cameras, and I know you do as well. We send yep. pictures back and forth all throughout the year. We all do absolutely. But that that getting out there and seeing because that you may have a deer that's coming into a certain spot, and yep. he never walks in front of that camera. No, His trail not. doesn't cross that. He has no business. Well, there. In certain business, certain bucks don't like cameras. I mean, I learned that hunting the suburbs. I've started taking a, a stick with me, a climbing stick. And I'd put it on the tree, and I'd hang my camera at 8 or 10 feet and angle it down. And you wouldn't believe the different deer I would catch on that camera 40 yards away from a corn pile because they didn't want to commit and something was wrong. you know. And it may have been an age thing. You know, bucks are like people. They all have different personalities. Some of them are more tolerant of, of pressure. Some of them are more tolerant of cameras. But there's those out there that aren't. And Nick, it's, it's those. pump your brakes. There's another <laughs> notepad. Get your notepad. Pull over on the side of I-20 or 75. If you're headed south, you better write that down because I did not think about that, Jason. So well, everybody, I, I'm true. sorry. I didn't mean to get it. I didn't mean to get inside. <laughs> it's, it's also hunting public land in the Midwest. You don't want somebody to be easily just walk by and grab your camera. I mean, right. especially if you're running a cellular camera. So hang it up 10 foot and angle it down. You'll be surprised. It's well, Now, it's harder to get a better profile of a buck if you're really trying to size one up. But. At the end of the day, I just want to know if it's a shooter or not. You know? yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, that's what most of us are running cameras for is just inventory. And uh, try that next season. I, I think you'll be pleased with the results on I, that. I, like you talk about scouting, you know, getting in there, doing a lot more walking around. Just like going back to Brandon's deer, that deer he killed up there in Illinois this year. Man, we were in there two days before, like we talked about and cutting up. We were cutting trees and yeah. making noise and making scent. Two days later, he was, he was in there. Absolutely. I, I don't care about that. That's their home. That's where the ladies are. Yeah. They're going to come back to that area. Absolutely, yeah. I take a saw with me every time I go. I've got yeah. a ten. I've been on my. I'm on my third ten foot Uyman, and probably my second five footer. And it's a lot to tote, but you can just leave it at the bottom of the tree, throw some leaves on it. But you got to have those shooting lanes. Like yes, you, you got to. You if you to. go all the way up there and you start moving around and you don't have a shooting lane, you're going. It's going to be a different story you're telling on the cell phone when you get back in the truck. You yeah. Know? So you, t- you talked about you know kids like not wanting to sit long and get up and everything. Kind of goes back to scouting. When Caden was younger and he would he would get that, man, I, I just want to get up and move or whatever. I'd take those opportunities, especially when we was hunting public land up in North Georgia, to walk around and show him sign. You know, at that point, Absolutely. the hunt's kind of, we're making noise, you know, we're talking or whatever, but take those opportunities to show him sign and what it means and, um, you know, and, and try to teach him something, Absolutely. you know, there and, and use it yeah, as a, a good point. Yeah. So. Yep. And it's not just, it's not just showing them sign. No. You know, you're teaching them about rocks and, and different right. trees and different, you know, uh, ditches and you're teaching them about, we've talked about small game hunting and how much time you walk through the woods. And I, like I said earlier, I couldn't sit still. So dad would take me squirrel hunting and that's how we had squirrel dogs and we got into moving through the woods and it never failed i'd be right behind dad following him along 
and he'd say, man, look at that skint tree, or man, right here's a pod mark. And we would find sign by squirrel hunting, or we would find trails that we had never knew were, were mm-hmm. there. Absolutely. Dog trees over here, you're going to that tree. You yep. may have never went to that spot had that dog not been treed Absolutely. there. So, um, Jason, I know you spend a lot of time out of state, and I know you spend a lot of time here in Georgia, but there, there's got to be, and you've, you've taken a lot of great deer. We've seen the pictures of them. We've seen the deer hanging here around us, but there's got to be a hunt that stands out in your mind as, as the favorite hunt that you've had. And it doesn't have to be one in particular, but I know we all have got two or three that stick out with us. But what's that one hunt for you that sticks out in your mind as, as your favorite hunt? Honestly, I don't have one. My favorite hunt is my next one. And I mean that. Um, I told you earlier, you know, I was, I was so blessed and fortunate to take a 199-inch deer in 2016. I never thought I'd top it. And I did. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying the odds were stacked against me, and it happened. We were able to make that work. My favorite hunt is my next hunt. Um, I'm hoping that's with Landon taking his first deer, my daughter taking her first deer, being with somebody when they get their first big buck, that first Pope and Young. My favorite hunt is my next hunt. There's a lot of them that stick out over the years that I've been uh, fortunate to be a part of. There's over a dozen people that have been with me when they've taken their first deer, and, and those memories are just as important and, you know, weigh on me every day just as much as the big deer do yeah and i know you i know you took james up uh up to iowa with you and he was able to take a great yeah, deer up there he, so he was actually hunting on a piece of property that he's been hunting on every time he gets drawn but we were literally an hour apart and so we're texting because we weren't close enough to stay at the same you know hotel or the same house uh, but we were texting back and forth and he took his biggest uh, bow buck a day after mine that was pretty cool i mean it was really neat That's to awesome. be there james the turner time. talking about he don't know how to kill a big buck i see yeah. you on there popping yeah. out yeah. james yeah yeah, yeah. you've killed some great ones. deer out of western kentucky mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I, to that. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah i'm gonna go ahead and tell you too when your kid takes that first deer and you're there yeah caden shot that deer when he's six years old i need a box of tissues i cried <laughs> yep. like a baby yep. brady hill was sitting there with me and there wasn't no stopping. No. There. I didn't. Nope. Just a run-of-the-mill Georgia nanny doe. And yeah. It, it might as well have been a 200-inch deer that's, at that point. I mean, it exactly was, right. And that's what started it for him. Yeah. So you, you've traveled through uh, the, the states in the Midwest, and you've come back to Georgia and you've hunted. And take me through the, the, the early season hunts that you've been on and how you differentiate how you hunt those deer um, as far as the, the, the pressure or, or – Talk, talk me through early season for you. Yeah. What's, a, what's a key factor for you in early season? Cameras. Got to have multiple, as many cameras as you can afford to run. They're your best friend early season. You need them to be your eyes. Most of the time, those bucks are still in bachelor groups that time of September, like when these two were taken in, uh, in Kansas. Uh, the less is more. you got to always remember that. This is extremely difficult for, for somebody to, to grasp this, but um, when I was hunting this deer, in 2018, there were two days where I literally did not hunt because the mornings were terrible. You're going to blow them off the crop fields. The afternoon's your best chance, and the only time you're probably going to succeed in seeing him and getting a shot at him. And then if the wind's wrong for the afternoon, you're best. But you know he's on the farm. You're when, getting pictures of him. When when you say terrible mornings, you mean wind was blowing in direction you thought he was going to come from? No, for whatever reason, early uh, we had intel that this deer was just coming off the crops. I could not get to any stand I wanted to get to without bumping him or okay. even taking a chance at bumping him. And when you bump a buck of, of 
this age class, usually their their core area has shrunk down, but they'll still they'll hold up for a couple of days and be nocturnal. I don't have a couple of days to burn. All of us are on out of yeah. state. We're on limited time. So uh, there were two days in 2018. I literally worked and sat back at the trailer we stay at and did not hunt, and that was extremely hard. I was about I, to say, how hard was that? That was very difficult, I but bet. it proved to be the best decision because we didn't bump him and run him out of there. Man. I got a question kind of going off what Alex just kind of asked, but I'm going to go off Georgia. I'm going to, it's going to be a two-question, and you can answer either one first. Georgia, when you're when you're walking around early, I don't, I don't know how much you hunt in Georgia. What are you looking for to hunt? And then when you get to Midwest, what are you looking for when you do a setup? If if you're new to the place, um, the first thing I look for, especially in Georgia, is I got to find where the the target buck that I'm looking for. I want to find where he's bedding. If I know where that deer is spending ninety percent of his time, I got a leg up all of a sudden. If I don't know where he's coming from and where he's bedding and spending ninety percent of his time, <clears throat> I got to move some cameras around and start shaking and grooving. But when you say that, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but oh. when you say that. What do you do as far as moving those cameras around to locate that bedding area? Keep it close to, uh, if you scout late season, if you scout after deer season, you'd be amazed at how much stuff you find. You'll find trails through Privet Head and, and Greenbrier that they're eating on that you never saw them doing back in October because they're hammering the white oaks here. Mm-hmm. So if you can back up and try to find where that buck is bedding, the, the camera's my best tool, okay? But also doing some observation hunts. A lot of times you just got to hang and bang. You got to put a stand up, know that it's probably not going to be in a successful tree to make a kill, but watch and try to find where that deer is going to bed. Watch, you know, like we were talking about with that buck in Waleska. You knew where he was at on the edge of that hill. You saw him in the pasture. If you can put him to bed and almost like a turkey, just figure out where he's going to bed, you've got a big leg up on him. Because all of a sudden then, if I find that bedding area, I can surround it as carefully as possible with some cameras, and I'll figure out which way he's going when he's leaving that bed and how much time he's doing it. A lot of times, um, you know, they might be on a two- or three-day cycle coming by a camera. If you ever looked at your pictures and said, man, why am I only getting this deer every third day? You know, well, that's because you're not right on top of his bed, but he, you're in between that and some food or that and where he wants to go, but he's not making that you – don't, you don't need to hunt till that third day. Now, if if you – now you're saying you move the cameras close to the bed and there, say so you get him on a pretty good pattern, but you got a smart old buck, that is, maybe he knows the camera's there. Maybe he's kind of avoiding it. How how close are you hanging to that it's area? Good. I mean, within a few feet. You'll hang off of that camera, yeah, within and you don't feet. think that you don't think that bothers him. You'd be surprised, especially on older deer. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you a tactic too that works. And another one to get your notepad for. A lot of these old bucks, <laughs> pump your brakes. There it is. <laughs> Thank you. Alex. A, a lot of these old bucks, um, they are really stubborn, just like an older person. Right. And if you bump him out of that bed, you better go in there and hang a lock on. And you better be sitting in it within 24 so hours. So if you see him get up out of that bed. I'll go and hang a stand. And yeah. I'll be waiting on him when he comes back. Because guess what? In the Midwest, it's a bump and dump. That's what we call it. It's a tactic. They There's not that many places to go. And he's right. going to run out of that field and do whatever he's going to do. Maybe he leaves out with a doe. But you would be surprised how many times he's going to try to come straight back to that bed. I always look at it. And, and I always look at this going back to turkey. And we'll get back on the question. I always look at this turkey season. I'm a big turkey hunter. You walk up on a big gobbler and you bump him out. I know what that is. He don't know what I am. Right. He's not educated. No, but that's that's a human coming or a Nick coming through there. You know. Yeah. He's going to come back in that area. It's <laughs> a mean, big scary creature. Yeah. A Nick yeah, coming I mean, at but, you. But, but they, they don't know. Turkey. I mean, a lot of times. I mean, if, yeah. Of course, if you're sitting there with a gun, he comes in. You stand up. But I mean, or if you shoot at him. But if he if you just bump him out, a lot of times they don't know. They just know something's 
making noise. That's that, correct. Yeah, they got to get out. But forever, our whole lives, we felt like if we jumped a deer and we saw white tails going, that was it. And you yeah. didn't want to hunt there. You either backed out or you went somewhere different. And now my, I have completely 180 degrees changed that. I, there's a reason he's that old, A, and there's a reason he wants to be in that bed, B. That's right. And it might be the most unconspicuous spot or it might be what, in our minds, we think is the best bedding spot on that whole farm. Either way, there's a reason he's there. So, like in, in, in Georgia, you know, you can you can find those thick areas and you can find those travel paths pretty easy because it's the timber here. Now you go to the Midwest, you're seeing fingers of woods, and I know when I went up there, and we we me and Alex talked about this, and Cody, um, you're you're kind of like where do I where do I start at? You know, you start on a ditch line. What are you looking for when you go to the Midwest? Um, a buck. Above. I'm looking for a shooter. Now you do you go up early season, kind of like we do, and I start do. glassing. I do. Yeah. I go up in August. I usually spend three days in August. I'll get my cameras put out on the farms I know have produced in the past, or where I think, or where we picked up sheds from the springtime. I do a lot of shed hunting too. I love to go to those farms and walk them in February, when you can see where all that late season activity took place, and you'd be surprised at the sheds you find. You know, at a completely random spot. Yeah. But there's a reason he's there, for him. Yeah. So. How often – we do the same thing. We typically go up June, July, and we'll see those big bachelor groups, you mm-hmm. know, early season, and, and you'll catch them out in those soybeans, you know, and that's the best place to see them standing up tall right there in the afternoons. But when you see them up tall like that, and they and you know there's – say there's a bigger one out of the – say there's three of them and you got a bigger one, is that bigger one's typically going to stay in that area and run those smaller ones off, you think? It depends on his attitude. Each one of them got a different – they all got different personalities. Sometimes it can be a four-year-old that just thinks he's Rocky Balboa. Yeah. And then you got an eight-year-old that just really doesn't want any part of him. He knows almost in his mind he's on the downhill slide. Yeah. And all he's thinking about is putting food on, whether it be early, uh, pre-rut, or post-rut, you know, late season. Yeah. Um, they've all got different personalities, and it, it's hard to answer that. But – when I do see that big deer, that's when I start keying in on cameras. I want to know why he's there, what he's doing. I want to know when he transitions off those beans when they turn brown. Is he going to corn? Is he going back in the woods and hitting acorns? If he is, where? And that's where these cameras are our best friend, especially hunting out of state. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that um, – so, all right, let's continue on down this pathway. Early season, you've went through, you're located a buck. You've targeted that buck. Let's say buck disappears. You've got a game plan, and you've got to totally revamp what you've done from early season scouting. We get to the midway point, November. Sweet November. Rut's going strong, and I know as well as anybody does, anything can happen during that time frame. There is no rhyme or reason why a deer's doing what it does. When you get to those points in the hunt, what do you look for? So I'm just going to go ahead and go on record. I hate the rut because of that. I love seeing deer do what they do. I love the vocals. I love watching chasing and fighting and all that. But when you've spent all that time targeting that deer and you've come close to killing him or kept tabs on him and then the rut hits, it's all out chaos. Yeah, It's all out chaos. So if you don't have a target buck, the rut can be your best friend because it can bring that new buck into you. But if you do and you're trying to get one killed early season, it's, it's, it can be a nightmare, especially on those four to five year olds that have that bigger roaming range. I mean, they'll run two counties, you know, it seems like. And I think that goes into to what where I'm wanting to go with that question. For the guy that doesn't have the opportunity to go up in preseason mm-hmm. scout, for he doesn't have an area that he has the, the ability to go and target a buck. Maybe he's hunting on public land. Yeah. He's going into that rut period, and he has that week to hunt. Yep. 
what would be your advice to him to stay go mobile. in there? Stay mobile. Get you a lock on and a couple sticks. Um, we make a great one at Lone Wolf Custom Gear. I say we, my, my friends, the, the DeQuesto family. It's light, um, and you've got to be able to make a move. And I'll tell you why. Hunting the rut can be difficult, and it can also be easy because you just never know what's going to show up, especially in the Midwest. But I like to um, I like to stay mobile anytime I can. And if I'm doing an all-day hunt, I'm hunting close to a bedding area and food and, and maybe an observation stand that morning. Midday, I'm going to move more towards a bedding and cover. And then that afternoon, I'm making another move, and I'm getting back out towards a field edge or somewhere I can watch where there's going to be some does and hopefully some bucks doing some scent checking. But if you've only got a week to hunt and you can only get out of state and take your vacation time, please, by all means, stay mobile. Even if you've only got um, – I mean – Climber is just recycled aluminum in the Midwest, but you're going to have to have a lot of <laughs> Yeah, we've talked you know, about that yeah, very I mean, much. There's, so. there's not a straight tree unless it's a power pole with conduit on it. But um, <laughs> Man, if, it's funny how everybody it says is, the same right? thing. Exactly. <laughs> if you can carry a lock on with you, don't be afraid to make a move. The rut is when you can be aggressive. So many times I hear people say, man, I sat all day and I saw a lot of activity and I had a shooter come by, you know, 70 yards. I just couldn't close the deal. Well, for me, when I see that shooter at 70 yards, as soon as he leaves and the coast is clear – I'm ripping that set down, and I'm moving over there. I do the same thing, I'm man. I'm gone. I mean, I'm moving right to where I saw that. And I may play cat and mouse, and I may not connect, but um, there's there's two things I like about the rut. I want to be right on top of that deer. I like to be close. I don't want to shoot 60 yards. I want to shoot 12, you know. You want to be close. So let's say you set up an observation stand, which is kind of what we did in Illinois. We knew, yep. we, weren't, we, were, knew we were close to a bedding area, yep. and we decided to set up on the outer edge of it. Now, I caught the buck that I killed coming back to that bedroom. Yep. Had we not had the opportunity to sit there, and I took that buck going back to bed, yep. if we saw a deer moving, let's say, 60 yards through that, he came out of bedding chasing a doe. We saw two bucks mm-hmm. do that. So at that point, it would have been smart for us to have taken down right then, and we were mobile enough, maybe not with the stand we were in at the time. We won't drop the name of what we were in, <laughs> but we were in a big big lock-on, and which has changed a bit, and I'll get into that a little bit later. Sure. but. If you if you have the opportunity to get closer, you would suggest making that move at that point. Absolutely. Don't Stay matter mobile. if it's 8 o'clock in the morning or 11 it o'clock in the middle matter. of the day. It's when the coast is clear, make your move. Go ahead. Because you know they're going to be running all day. You've already seen the activity. It's proven that it's that time, that magic time that everybody's wanting to take off for and hit while they're there. Make a move. Be aggressive. That's when you're going to get away with it. So here's, here's a question off of that as far as moving. Now, you mentioned using lock-ons mm-hmm. and sticks. Mm-hmm. I'm all about lock-ons, and I'm all about sticks. You ever thought about a saddle? Yeah, there's a lot of guys that do the saddle hunt. That scares me to death. I mean, well, it does me as well, yeah. and that's what we've talked about, yeah. the ropes and everything. Yeah. We, we've talked about that, and yep. there's a lot of guys. Do you feel like they have an advantage over us? You know, most of the guys that are saddle hunters, they're at the same level as far as they're just nuts about going out of state and hunting. They're serious hunters, and I do feel like they have a, a, um, a wider range of motion. To get away with but they also uh they'll also tell you after sitting there for six hours their legs may hurt them for the next two days you know there's a there's a trade-off but most of the guys i know that are saddle hunting they're very successful hunters they they really know how to get in there and get it done for me i want to put that lock on on my back with my backpack <laughs> my camera gear and i want to be able to shag and move and the other thing i've learned too from hunting the midwest you don't need to be 22 feet high you got I've that right. a lot yeah. of deer from i mean eight feet i mean not even as high as nick sealing here I mean, is just just get where you they can't see you. Get some cover around you. Don't clean everything out. You know, just some of the that's, common sense. That's what we talked about. It's not Georgia. It's not. It's, it's it, not Georgia. You can get away with so much more. You know, there's a fence row that nobody wanted to hunt on one of our Illinois pieces because none of the trees were over 12 feet. I went to the biggest cedar that was no bigger than my leg, 
and got up six feet and killed a really good deer because, guess what, he was using that fence row, and he'd never had a person in there. I just carved out a little spot, made my little nest, got up six feet, and was able to take that buck. And, and again, I'm not – this is just advice because it's something I've learned. You know how long it took me to learn that? I was the guy guy sitting 200 yards across the field going, man, I wish I could get a blind over there on that cedar thicket. Make a move. Go do it. You don't have to be high. That's so so hard as as a – I say a a novice hunter, a newer hunter that's only gone to the Midwest a few times. I've been lucky enough to go three years now. And you get out there and you're seeing all this activity. We're not used to that in Georgia. That's right. And it's hard to – it's hard to rip down a set and move when you're seeing deer, even at 150 yards, you're like, well, one's bound to run by me in a minute, you know? So that takes, that takes, um, you know, years of, 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 like you said, those, tried and true it's methods. It's getting and, out of that comfort zone. Yeah, those deer all don't of have us to have that comfort zone. Those deer got the range to see. They don't have to be looking up at all the time. That's right. To see around and yeah. And Whereas here we have hills and draws, and they're coming up a mountain. They're walking up. Yeah. So they're naturally going to be looking. Now, if you're in their pier point where their eyes are focused right on that ridge line, and you're sitting at. 10, 12 feet in Georgia, you're likely going to be spotted unless you're in that 20, 22 foot range. Whereas in the Midwest, it's more of a flat. You're hunting those ditch lines and you're hunting those draw areas where you can get up, as you said, 8, 10 feet high. I'll be the first to tell you this year in Illinois, the tree that I wanted to get in, it was a small tree. It was about the size of my waist, which ain't very big, 30, 30, (laughs) 30, 28, 28, yeah, yeah, on a good day. So they're 30s now. They're getting a little thick in the stomach, but I got in that tree and I did not. I told Cody, I said, I ain't high enough. I ain't high enough. This ain't going to work. I'm going to be busted. And the first morning here, I had deer running all over me and they never paid a bit of attention to me. And I was in a flat, you know, so, and I was 14 feet max. Oh, I had three sticks. I was up three sticks. Yep. And that's as high as I could go in that tree because of the size of it. Now we went back in and we got to the same height and climbers because we found a couple of poplars or whatever Whatever they they were. were, Trees to climb that, but they're, as you said, you don't have to get to 20, 22 no. feet. And, and you're not going to get that high up there. You're not going to find those crazy a, straight trees. You're also going to have a real difficult time making a shot, a shot. Yeah. when yeah. you get that high yeah. because everything looks like broccoli when you're up above that canopy to try to shoot through. That's right. That's and right. you can spend a lot of time laying in if you want to, but I'd rather just get up as quick as I can and make a couple cuts and have those shooting lanes and – um, not not feel like I got to get you know over over twenty feet anymore. But see, that's so totally different than the way we grew up hunting South Georgia. That's right. That's I right. jacked up as high as that summit would let you, me forty yep. feet sometimes in a cutover. Yeah. You know, I mean, to where my rope was pulling my gun as I'm inching up the oh, yeah. up the pine tree. You know, but I had to learn all this, and it took a long time and a lot of listening to guys that had been uh, you know successful year in and year out. And once I got out of my comfort zone and tried it. It was like, man, this actually does work, you know? Yeah, so moral of the story is get out of your comfort zone a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Especially. We, we actually could have named this episode Get Out of Your Comfort Zone, you know? Well, we just did. Well, we just what, did. What do you, uh, <laughs> what's uh, hunting in the Midwest? What's your maybe most successful or favorite time of the day? During- I love that 10 to 2 period. It's one of my favorite times. I don't um, – I like to be in the woods during the rut if I don't have a target buck or if I do and I think he's somewhere, I love that 10 to 2 time period. Yeah. It's probably one of my favorites on a good red moon day to be in the woods. Yeah. Do you base do you do you go in in the mornings and and do you do you ever go in in the mornings hunt maybe a set that you know's good in the mornings 
get out, hit a stand at 10. Absolutely. Hunt did, till 2, get it. out and hit that evening stand. Did it this year. Did, did you? It many times this year. I've got pre-hung sets. Uh, the problem was, you guys, I think we're up there at the same time. I, I left all my sets in October on a cold front for a north and a west wind. Well, guess what happened the first week in November? It got hot and turned to southeast. South so I had so. to go tear all those down and move them or leave the ones that I knew were in good spots and hunt mobile. Yeah. And I just had one set. I actually have a set now I leave at the base of the tree so that I don't have to tear down. I can just go straight down and grab that and three sticks and two screw-in steps, and that's my little mobile set that I'm going to make a move with if yeah. I need to. Yeah, and that's that's what's frustrating, too, if you only have a week to hunt. That's yes. it. Yeah. And you've got a block of timber and say this is the block of timber you're going to hunt, and you have a south wind or whatever it is, and it's a horrible wind. Oh. How, I mean, you just got to get in there, hunt. I mean, what do you? Well, you or you don't go. Yeah, but you've got a bad wind, and you've but know if you've only it. got a week. What do you but do? If you've got. I will, I will. I'll say this though, and I, and I don't know if if y'all have had it happen before, but the two the two biggest deer I've ever had killed up there, which is rut, completely different times. My wind was hitting them straight in the face, and they could care less in the yes. world. Yeah, you'd they be don't, surprised. Yeah, they don't care. A lot of well, times, here. a lot of times we're up there just for that hard week of rut. And I had a, my buddy Blaine asked me this time, said, what do you think about hunting this and the wind? I said, sometimes I don't even care because they can come from a different direction. And even if they do come from that way, more than likely they're probably going to be chasing the doe this time of year. So I don't worry about it. There's absolutely yeah. times you can get away with it. And also understanding yeah. thermals. I mean, guys, in the morning, thermals rise. You can get away with a, a wrong wind or hunting a wind edge even, almost to the point where it is right at where you think they're going to come from because that thermal is rising. But in the afternoon, you got to be a little more careful because – that's all pushing to the ground. Right. You know? So early season, the key to success, in your opinion, cameras, preseason scouting, finding out where your target buck is. Yeah, and keeping tabs on him. Let's go to mid-season rut period. Your key to success there is stay mobile. Stay mobile. And guess what? Y'all are going to have to wait till episode two or part two of this this episode to find out what Jason's keys to late season success is. For everybody over at Talk About It Outdoors, we appreciate you tuning in tonight. I ain't going to leave y'all hanging too long on this, and uh, we're going to go into part two uh, on, the, uh, on the secondary episode. And, hey, this may even carry over to part three. I'm not sure. Um, we, uh, we're going to go, uh, go back over the uh, – a little bit of a recap of what we did in the second in the second part of it, but um, as I said, I appreciate everybody tuning in tonight. We appreciate everybody tuning in to the uh, to the to the giveaway tonight. Kenzie Reed, congratulations on yours. We go back to Tony. Tony, we appreciate you. You know your humbleness and uh, your your comments as far as uh, appreciating the the prize that we gave away. That case knife, something that meant a lot to us. As always, go over to our social media platforms. Follow us on Facebook. We figured out a little trick on the Facebook page. There's a follow button on the front now instead of a send message. So you can click that follow button. Make sure you share it. And if you hear something you like or hear something that piques your interest, make sure you send us over a question on Shooting You Straight. We got the new episode, Pump Your Brakes, and we're going to be pumping them a lot, it sounds like, the way it's going, because I like saying that. I, I kind of I get excited when I got to pump your brakes a little bit. Turns red I do. I, I just I get it in my soul, and I want to tell everybody. So for everybody over at Talk About It Outdoors, we appreciate you tuning in tonight. And as always, smile as you go, and don't forget to mount the memories.